Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. That, that kind of brings us to the conversation that was happening in the book of Acts. And Luke says, who wrote the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, say the first book. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. This was Luke letting us know, hey, I'm writing a second book. Now, Acts is the sequel to the first book that I wrote called, any, any, any guesses, the first book Luke wrote? Any guesses? Go ahead. There you go, Luke. That's right. Say it loud enough so that it records and we can hear it online. All right, online folks, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, he's saying, listen, I already recorded. I told you the stories of everything Jesus has done and said and lived, and it was remarkable. And so now I want to write another letter just recording the acts of the apostles, like what God has now done through people who are going to be indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit and what God can do in a group of people that would just bow their hearts and say yes to him. That's why we get the book of Acts. It's a description of all the incredible things that happen through ordinary folks who are willing to say yes to the power of Jesus at work in their everyday ordinary lives. And he says in verse 2, until the day when Jesus was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he, Jesus, presented himself, listen, alive to them after his suffering, after the crucifixion, Everybody saw Jesus die on the cross. There was no mistaking it. Jesus then presented himself to them after his suffering by many proofs. How many proofs? Many of them. Innumerable proofs. Well, that tends to happen when after being crucified, he appears to them during 40 days while walking on the face of the earth after his resurrection. 40 days walking on the face of the earth speaking about the kingdom of God. Listen, listen. This, is, this, by the way, is historical record. This isn't just Bible chatter. There, there's even ancient historians who did not believe that Jesus was the Christ like Josephus who made record of such things. Listen, this is how and why I know this is the one true king and the one true God and the only way. Everything else is a lie. This is how I know Every other religion in the world came as a result of someone's private revelation or private dream, and they wrote it down privately, and they shared it with a private group of people, and then it ended up catching on eventually because people liked what he had to say. Every religion in the world, except for one, when God was born publicly, lived publicly, died publicly, resurrected publicly, healed publicly, preached publicly so that the world would know. It was lived out in front of our faces. Many proofs, he says. There's no denying that this is the one true king. He left no stone unturned, no evidence unwritten so that we would know that he was, in fact, the only God, the only king. This is the only one true faith and religion. And everything south of it is a lie that's coming from our enemy, the devil. And he says, now, while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, when you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Say Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus is saying, hey, like, don't move too fast. Let's not get in front of God. You guys wait and you pray. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, that's when you're going to move. 
Because trust me, you don't want to go about doing this work of God without linking yourself to the Holy Spirit because you're going to need his power and his sustenance to pull it off. So you, you just wait, he tells the original apostles. And so when they had come together, they asked Jesus, listen closely, you've been asking Jesus this too. Listen closely. When they came together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You probably never asked it in those exact words, but let me translate what they were saying. Jesus, hey, we, say, we see that you conquered death. You think you can go beat up on Rome for us? We don't like those guys. They're bad for our health. Uh, when are you going to restore us back to power? Uh, let me translate that a little broader so that you can see how you ask the same questions that the disciples were asking Jesus right here. Jesus, we've seen that you conquered death. We know that you're all-powerful. So when are you going to fix our political and social problems? Obviously, if you can defeat death, then you can handle this stuff I'm seeing on the news. Then, then you can handle the stuff that's happening in my country. So when are you going to do it? You, you want to know what Jesus says to them and by extension says to you this morning, Grace Bible, are you ready for this? We're having a heart to heart. I hope your heart's ready. Are you ready for this? Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know. The times are the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Let me translate that. Ain't none your business. That's God's business. You picking up what I'm putting down? Jesus, I've seen you conquer death. I've seen you do the impossible. So why haven't you fixed this kind of impossible thing in my country, in my environment, in my politics, in my social structures? Why haven't you done something about that yet? When are you going to do that? He says... Ain't none of your business. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed with his own authority. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, but you. Look to the person to your right and say, but you. Look to the person to your left and say, but you. Look at your own daggum self and say, but you. Oh, God, when you're going to fix all this mess, ain't none of your business, but you. Here's your job. You leave God's stuff to God. You don't know his timeline. You don't know his strategy. You don't know why he continues to wait. You don't know why he moves the way he does. You don't know why he's doing what he's doing. And by the way, you won't be able to fix it at the ballot box because he's the highest king and he sits on the highest throne and he sits amongst the highest supreme court. But you... I told you we've been asking them the same questions the disciples started on day one. But you, he says, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But you, this is the part you play. Bear witness to my, you know what a witness is? A witness is someone who just tells other people what they heard or what they saw or what they experienced. That's what a witness does. You see him in the court of law. Jesus said, my Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you will receive power in that moment for the rest of your life and you will be my witnesses to, to your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
He's going to empower you to do it. Yeah, but I don't feel comfortable. Yeah, but the power is going to come from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but I don't have the gift of evangelism. Where's the gift of evangelism in here? Who made that up? You. Every disciple ever. This is not the extraordinary call of just a few who step on stages on Sunday mornings or move halfway across the world and bear the title of missionary. This is the ordinary call of every single saint who has trusted Jesus as Lord. That you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit in the moment that you confess Jesus as Lord. They had to wait on the Holy Spirit to come because he didn't show up till Acts chapter 2 while they were waiting and praying. But the Holy Spirit has been here ever since, indwelling everyone who believes and trusts in Jesus as Lord. So how do I receive the power of the Holy Spirit? Trust in Jesus as Lord and King. Bow your heart before him. And in that instant, you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you receive a variety of different gifts in that moment as well, which is great. Every one of those gifts was meant to be used for the glory of God. But the one unifying gift that every single one of us received in the moment we received the Spirit is the power to be witnesses. The power to overcome our fear, the power to fumble through our words, the power to trust Christ in us, to witness about himself to the world around us. And Luke goes on to say, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, Jesus then was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven, he went, and behold, two, two, two men were standing there with him in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up to heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, he's coming back. The same way that he left, don't you sweat it. You listen to what he told you to do. Those were your marching orders. Now that you are going to receive the Holy Spirit, go and be witnesses to the world. Just so you know, those of you that have studied the book of Acts or studied it with us or have read through it yourself, did you notice how much energy and time the apostles put into trying to create political and social reform in their societies? Did you notice how much time they put into that? None. You know why? Because their marching orders were to create spiritual revival through the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have time for all that foolishness because they were too busy making disciples, inviting their unsaved friends to come to the house and have meals and come to church with them. And they were breaking bread together and a miracle happened when the people of God actually walked in line with the marching orders of God. Chapter two goes on to say that, and God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, who would have thunk it? Doing God's things God's way ends up having supernatural results. And you know what happens when disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples? You know what happens? Political reform becomes unnecessary. Social reform becomes unnecessary. You know why? Because as the gospel continues to take root in the hearts of the believers, transformation happens at a heart level in our communities, not at a litigation level, at a heart level, which is where we need the change to happen. Through disciple making, that's what can change the world. This is why millions of people came to know Christ Jesus as Lord throughout the first several years centuries millions of people so much so in fact even despite the incredible persecution that the christians faced in the first century i mean being slaughtered literally for what they believe dragged out into the streets thrown into the Colosseum to be devoured by wild beasts as people watched on they continued to be disciple makers and before you know it in just a matter of time rome itself even became a christian nation now that i had a whole lot of problems to go along with it but nonetheless, 
And we have them to thank for not being busy bodies with lesser things, but trusting the power of the Holy Spirit to use them to transform the world around them. And thank God they did, because here we sit in our comfortable little church with the air conditioning blasting so we can complain about the music or the preaching or the whatever. Here we sit. Interesting how things have changed, huh? You know, we could do the deep dive and parse out all the Greek here and have our regular diet of Bible study as we figure out what every nuance to this word means for their culture so we can translate it into our culture. But if I'm going to be honest, like, I think we already kind of get it. God was going to empower his people to witness about his glory, to tell people about it. I think we get it. I just don't really think we care that much. So I'm not going to waste our time trying to explain what we already get. But I feel like we need to have a heart-to-heart about why we don't care. Let me just start by asking, like, a probing question or three. As I ask myself this, I'm asking our church family this, and I acknowledge that in 10 years of being the pastor here, that anything that is not in line with the word of God is, I can't look past myself, it's my own fault. So let me just ask some hard questions, though, with the few minutes that we have left. Um, Are we a church, and by we as a church, I'm talking about this building is nothing until you walk into it. You are the church, we are the body, the church, this building is not the church, you are. Do we as a church believe Do we believe in the word of God and that all that it says is true? You answer that for yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Do we believe in the word of God and that all that it says is true as a church? For those of you that would say yes, then, if you believe that the word of God and all that it says is true, then... Are you committed to ordering your life around the word of God? Are you committed to ordering your life around the word of God? And for those of you that have said yes to those first two, let me just throw in a third question is, are we going to be willing, committed to ordering our church around the word of God. I can tell you most churches, this one included, don't look anything like the word of God. And I could ask those three questions in any church in America and everybody would bob their heads and say, amen, we got it right here. Those other churches though, we got a cornered the market on truth here. At our church, we do everything biblically around here. Really? Really? I wonder how biblical it is. I wonder how biblical it is for the people of God who trust the words of God, who have committed to ordering their lives around it, who have committed to ordering their churches around it. I wonder how biblical it is then for our whole church experience to revolve around 
raising as much money as we can and gathering as many people as we can so we can build the biggest buildings that we can so that all the other churches know we're better. I wonder if churches who are ordered around the word of God would exhaust every resource they have to make sure they had top dollar teachers to stand up there on Sunday while the community gathered around them to hear what they had to say and they spared no expense to have the best music and the best production around because they wanted to awe people. And, and they, they would go to any lengths necessary to create whatever programs and hire whatever staff were necessary to make them and their children as comfortable as possible. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. Now, who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? Man, Jesus did not die so that we could have corporations competing for market share on every street corner in America that wear Christian t shirts and have potlucks and stuff. Jesus didn't die for that. Jesus died and was resurrected for his ecclesia, his spirit-filled movement, who is committed to being witnesses, as scary and as costly as that may be, that we're going to trust the power of the Holy Spirit to show them how to make disciples everywhere they live, work, learn, and play. But who are we kidding? You know, about five years ago, our elders came under such wealth of conviction about that very thing, and we have come a long way. But we have a long way to go. And yeah, we may have to build bigger buildings one day. And yeah, we may have to create some programs to continue to accomplish what the Lord has accomplished, uh, called us to do. But I can tell you, it's all under one umbrella and for one purpose to equip the saints for the work of the ministry that they were called to, not to gather everybody to come look at how great we are. Because I'm not going to stand in front of God one day and explain to him in detail about how amazing I am at putting on shows. Look at how many people came to listen to me talk about you. And him look back at me and say, why didn't you equip them to talk about me too? The Heartland's not going to walk into Grace Bible. But they are everywhere that you live, work, learn, and play. They're everywhere you are. And so I fail and we fail if our primary objective in gathering isn't fixing our eyes upon Jesus, worshiping his glory, opening up his word with the purposes of not tickling our thirsty ears, but equipping us to be who we are called to be, to walk in the calling that we have received, to walk in the identity that we have in Christ Jesus. We're committed to that. I'm committed to that. If you're new to grace and that doesn't sound like fun to you, you probably won't like it here. This is what we are about. This is what we will always be about. This isn't some new gimmick or some new strategy. This is Jesus' strategy that was laid out since the beginning. And the church of Jesus Christ all over the world has drifted from who he has said we are and what he has called us to do. And we will not drift. We will be 
exactly who he has called us to do, called us to be and do what he has called us to do. You realize that if you consider the breadth of all that is Grace Bible, there are probably about, let's just say roughly about 2,000 people right here in our community that would call Grace Bible home. Naturally, they're not here every weekend, but every weekend I stand up here, I see a sea of different faces. So let's just say roughly, maybe even conservatively, that about 2,000 folks are a part of the Grace Bible Church family. Let's just say that maybe half of that, maybe 1,000 people are really committed to learning what it looks like to walk in the calling that they have received and walk in their identity in Christ Jesus. That's us. Now let, now let me show you the world. We just eclipsed 8 billion people on planet Earth. Over 3 billion of which live in such extraordinary poverty that they live on $2 or less a day. A little over half of that actually are in such excruciating poverty that they're dying of things like thirst and malnutrition and easily curable diseases and sicknesses. Among that, there are billions and billions of people that worship false gods and are involved in false religions. And by the way, it's not just them out there. It's all over our own community and in our own friend groups and family groups as well. Billions of people worshiping false gods and enamored with false religions, 1.5 billion of which have never even actually heard the gospel according to statistics. Think about what I'm telling you. On planet Earth right now, billions of people, if you believe in the word of God and all that it says is true, billions of people are headed down a path of destruction. Oh, and it's not just them out there, the remote corners of Africa or in the desert or in the Amazon jungle. It's, it's right here in our community, billions of people that are sprinting down the path of destruction. According to the Bible, separated from a relationship with God because they have, they have yet to believe or receive the good news of the gospel, and they are headed sprinting down a path to destruction with an ultimate landing place of a place called hell, which, by the way, wasn't designed for us. It was designed for Satan because he deserves it. But the problem is anyone who walks through this life without surrendering, committing to Jesus Christ, if you believe the word of God, says that that's where they end up. Eternally separated from him. And that's where some folks, I can hear your hearts crying out saying, ah, that's why I can't get on with this God stuff. So that's messed up. God would send people to hell. It's terrible. He's unjust. That's why I can't believe in all that hoshposh. Listen, I heard an old man say not too long ago, he said, listen, God hadn't sent anybody to hell. We were born into sin, already headed to hell. He stepped into the story to rescue us from it. You hear what I'm saying? Oh, and by the way, before we start throwing our daggers at God, I just told you, right here in this community, right now under the sound of my voice, throughout this weekend, over a thousand people are going to hear this conversation. There'll be more than a thousand people that are going to sit here in this room, and there'll be several hundred watching online, and we're going to have this talk. And we're going to go back on to our rhythms of life and just not care, won't we? Why billions of people right in our own backyards and in our own family groups and in the cubicle next to us 
have yet to have somebody truly, really, trust the power of the Holy Spirit in them and bear witness to the glory of God. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, gosh, well, like, I hear what you're saying, but how in the world do I do that, man? It's scary. Like, I don't have all the words, and I don't know the Bible that well. And, like, I believe it. I believe it. I just don't know what to do. Like, where do I, where do I, wh- how do I start? Like, that's tough, man. L- l- listen, if, if you're wondering what to do next, you're actually in really good company. Because when the apostles received the power of the Holy Spirit, there wasn't any podcast for them to go listen to. There weren't any fiery sermons that they could hearken back to. There weren't any books on how to be a witness. There, 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 weren't, there, there weren't any classes you could take on living missionally in a, in a post-Christian society. There was none of that. All they had and all they needed was the power of the Holy Spirit within them. Other believers around them who continued to just tell the stories of the goodness and the kindness and the wonder and the majesty of Jesus. How it impacted them in their lives and what he had said and what he had done and what he had taught. They were just telling the story, just being witnesses as they went. Not in a weird way, just in a life way, like while they're having meals together. Like they were just trusting God to work through them. It changed everything. They didn't know what to do either. They trusted in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if I had to guess, they probably hearkened back to some of the the patriarchs and the prophets of old and just began to pray dangerous prayers. Prayers like what Isaiah said when he looked back at the face of God and he says, here am I, Lord, send me. Prayers like Jehoshaphat said when he says, I don't know what to do next, but show me the way. Prayers like that, dangerous prayers to say, Lord, I am yours. Use me how you see fit because I long for your kingdom to come and your will to be done in the heartland as it is in heaven. Spirit, lead me with a trust that's without borders. As we walk upon the waters, wherever you would call me, take me deeper than my feet would ever wander. And my faith would be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me with a trust that's without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet would ever wander. That my faith would be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Hey, let's pray a dangerous prayer right now. You pray a dangerous prayer over you, and then I'm going to pray a dangerous prayer over us. You take a moment just between you and the Lord. Lord, I acknowledge to you that we are not our own. That we were created for you. That we have been rescued for you. That we have been empowered for you. 
but we don't even know how to use those tools. And it's scary to think about what that might mean. But here we are, Lord, send us. We don't know what to do next, but we know you do. We don't have the words yet, but you do. We don't have the courage, but you do. Have your way in us. We are yours. We are your ecclesia right now. In the 21st century, right here in the heartland, we are your ecclesia. Move through us. Transform the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.